Good morning, guys. Good to see you guys again. I had to uh, laugh so this morning while they were practicing, getting ready uh, for worship. I hopped on Facebook real quick, and uh, Sandy, who had been on like the Zoom, Sandy was uh, she had helped us with the initial plan of this church. She was doing worship with us and stuff. And um, she had been telling me that she was going to go check out a new church that finally came in Georgia. She's been struggling trying to find a church that just teaches the Bible. And um, <laughs> she sent me a thing on Facebook. Just, I couldn't believe it. She goes, you're not going to believe this. She goes, they had a literal marching band in the entrance of their of their church. She goes, and then they had a fog machine going when you walked in. <laughs> she said, yeah. And then that was got better. And then she goes, when you left, they they handed you nachos and a coke. <laughs> so I so I I told her I couldn't resist. I'm like, everybody has fog machines, but the nachos, man, that's that's next level. So I sent her a thing on there, a picture of Amazon. So you can get a nacho machine for like four hundred bucks. We're doing a GoFundMe page. We're gonna call it the Cheesy for Jesus Outreach. I mean, we're gonna do it, man. It's gonna be awesome. This is our church growth program. I this is what I've been missing. So yeah, it's pretty awesome. It just made me laugh. But anyways, okay, back to this. Now, <laughs> all right, guys, why don't you open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 18. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Let's pray. God, we do thank you, Lord, that we, uh, we have this opportunity to be together. It's great to see people again. And, you know, I miss those who can't be with us, uh, you know, just during our regular services, Lord, but uh, we just pray that you would just continue to add to us, Lord, people that can be here and worship with us, and uh, that those who, you know, for whatever reason can't make it to the service, that you would continue to feed them, and, uh, you know, Lord, that they would be nourished through whatever means are available at that time. So we thank you, Father. We pray that you would take uh, your Holy Spirit now, that you would just give us the ability by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand your word and to be able to apply your word. And would you do a deep work in each one of us today, Lord, that none of us would leave here the same as when we came in because we're going to grow closer to you, Lord. And uh, I just pray that you'd please help us with that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week uh, in, in Revelation chapter 2, in the previous verses, we studied the letter to the church of Pergamum, which was the compromising church. Okay. This week, we're going to study the letter to Thyatira, which is also known as the corrupt church. Thyatira, uh, remember, all these churches were kind of close when you look at kind of just their, where they were at in that area in Asia Minor. Uh, but this was probably within about 40 miles of the other churches. It was in a much smaller city that the other churches were in. But it was really known for its industrial strengths. And, and I think it's important to understand some of the things that were happening in that area, which you're not going to get just from the letter, to understand what history tells us about this, because it'll help understand kind of some of the things that are said in this particular letter. Uh, it was a city that had more trade guilds than most other bigger cities. And a guild, uh, I had to look that up myself. I'm like, what is a trade guild? So a trade guild would be something similar to what we have as labor unions, okay? 
Um, so you have different people that were doing different things. Uh, perhaps they were people, I mean, idolatry was huge in that area. So you had people making idols. You had people that were working with wood. You had people that were working with stone. They had all kinds of different trades that they were doing in that area. And those people would unite together, people who had similar trades, and they would do things like set their prices. Uh, they would pull their resources. They would do whatever they had to do to make sure that they were kind of locked in in that area. Uh, if you've ever had any kind of interaction with people in labor units, especially if, if you stand against them whatsoever, you know it is not. I, they can be ruthless. Uh, I remember when we first, I first got introduced to that, I was in a store, and uh, I guess our company had decided to choose a different contractor than, uh, than this labor union wanted us to use. Uh, and they, they ran in my showroom in a different store. I was in a store and they ran in the showroom and they threw flyers and were yelling at us, you know, something about we kill rats or something. It was just something stupid. And I'm like, what is this about? And I looked up like, yeah, it's a labor's unit that's upset with us that we didn't choose them. You know, it's like, man, you know, kind of mafia style, you know, it's kind of how it goes sometimes with it. But you can imagine in this particular area, it could be a whole lot worse. You know, if you, if you weren't part of their guild, uh, and you were trying to do business in that area, there were some consequences. Now, one of the areas that we know that there was a thriving industry was in purple linen. Uh, we know that because of, if you remember when we going through the book of Acts, or when, when you're doing it yourself in there, uh, Acts chapter 16, Luke was writing about this, that a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. That's where she came from. The purple, remember, that was, that was really quite the process to get, to get the purple out. Yeah, it was one source. It was a bug, right, that they had. And they, yeah, slugs that they had to take and kind of bleed the juice out of them or whatever. And, and it was it was very, very expensive process to get done. So when somebody was clothed in purple, uh, they were really wearing something that was very expensive. I mean, you knew that that cost a lot of money. So that was one of the top exporters of a purple linen in that area was Thyatira. So there was a little bit more to it, though, than just that. Um, like all the other cities I had mentioned, there was a lot of idolatry in that area. And remember, with that idolatry, they also incorporated a lot of temple prostitutes. So there was a lot of sexual sin and deviance that was happening in that area. Uh, what they would do is they would walk around and, you know, if you went into a district where there was a lot of prostitution, they would be soliciting the men, trying to get them in, and then they would go and they would do sexual things inside of these temples. Uh, and that's how they kind of got the men into that idol worship and they made money and, you know, built their whatever they were doing during that. Uh, each one of those guilds, though, these labor unions, these guilds that they had, what they would do is they would adopt one of the, of the pagan gods. They would make that kind of that, that was their, that was the one that they were, you know, attaching to theirs, kind of like what we would think of like a patron saint, okay, in this generation where a lot of times, you know, within Catholicism, uh, they'll choose a patron saint and they will pray to that patron saint uh, for things like basically good luck. You know, just we want this blessing. So we'll pray to the saint and that saint will watch over us and give us these things that we want. Well, they would do the same thing with these false gods, with these idols. They would adopt one of them and they would they would worship that idol. And that was kind of their that was their idol in that guild. That's what they did. So you had all these competing idols, you know, in different guilds that they were worshiping because they worshiped a whole bunch of different gods. So if anybody was doing any kind of labor in that area and they wanted to survive, they had to be part of that labor union of those guilds. They had to be part of them, but they also had to participate in the worship and the maintenance of that idol worship. 
So you'd be supporting it financially. You would be, again, partaking of however they were doing with the temple prostitutes, all those things. You were, you were part of that. And the repercussions were huge. If you were not a part of it, you'd basically be choked out. They, they just wouldn't let you in that area. You couldn't survive. You couldn't do the job that you were doing because you had to be part of those guilds. So with all that understanding, now let's read this letter. And we're going to go ahead and read this through. It's a little bit longer than the other ones, but let's read it through and then we'll circle back and kind of talk about it a little bit more in depth. In verse 18, it says, Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. But she does not, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into a great affliction unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who hold on to this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works till the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received from my father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So as we see here, Jesus just takes time to describe himself uh, in a little bit different way than he does to the other churches. He begins with his portion of this letter. He flat out says, thus says the Son of God. Like there's no beating around the bush. Thus says the Son of God, making sure that there was no doubt about his rule and authority over that church. You know, in in past, we've we've talked about that he walks around amongst amongst the lampstands, so we can put all that together. But here he's flat out saying, this is my church and I have authority over this. He also says that his eyes are like a fiery flame, which is really the, we talked about how in the first chapter, how that's kind of like penetrating judgment. When you think of like eyes burning, like staring deep into the soul and it's judgmental in the way that it's doing it. And his feet are like fine bronze, which is talking about purity and strength in the Bible. Those are purity and strength typically is what that's, that's relating to. As was his method, he begins by putting, pointing out the things they were doing very well. In verse 19, he starts out by saying, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. He starts by telling them they're doing a lot of really good stuff. I mean, just think of that description. If somebody said that about Calvary Woodburn, you know, wow, you know, I I know what you guys are doing, man. Your love, it's awesome. Faithfulness, that's great. Service, you guys are serving. Endurance, man, you're strong. You're hanging in there. And I know that your last works are greater than the first. In other words, instead of like, you know, these things kind of tapering off over time, you're just getting stronger. The longer this church goes, it just gets better and better and better. And that's, those are compliments. That's, that's what I would aspire to have as a church. That'd be a great description. The New Living Translation puts it this way. I know all the things you do, 
your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. So I can see, you know, Jesus saying, I see your constant improvement. You're just getting stronger in all these areas. When you contrast that with the church of Ephesus, which began well in all those areas as well, but slowly uh, drifted away from those things, specifically, namely love. They were drifting away from love. They had, they had become, ministry became this machine. It became like something that you had to do instead of something that you wanted to do because you love the Lord and because you love people. It's a danger for all churches. Uh, this church continued to gain momentum in all those areas as time went on. Outwardly, this would have appeared to be a very healthy church. If you visited this church you would have walked into it and said, this is a healthy congregation. Look at these people serving. They're so loving. Man, they've gone through some really hard times, but they're still faithfully serving the Lord. You would have walked into this place and just thought, this is a great church. Sandy would have joined that church. It would, even without the nachos, even without the sodas, she would have said, this is a great church. But then... His fiery eyes begin to burn a little bit more intensely, I'm sure, as he says in verse 20. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. So who was Jezebel? You know, he, he names a woman named Jezebel. Uh, you know, and again, there's different opinions on this. Perhaps it was a woman named Jezebel. I was thinking about it myself. I only know of one woman in my entire life that was named Jezebel. Uh, I really do. Uh, besides the Bible, there was somebody named Jezebel. Uh, it turned out to be a little prophetic because she acted like the biblical Jezebel as well. Uh, but, you know, it, it could have been that there was somebody that was named Jezebel. Or perhaps it was a person that was operating under that same spirit of that infamous Jezebel, you know, that was spoken of in 1 Kings 16. I just got a snippet of, of 1 Kings 16 to remind you of who she was. It says, Then as if following the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, were not enough, he married Jezebel. <laughs> we'll talk about that. The daughter of that guy, king of the Sidonians, and then proceeded to serve Baal and, and bow and worship to him. He set up an altar for Baal in, in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Ahab, which was the husband, the king, also made an Asherah pole. Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were born before him. You, know, you think about that. You don't want that written about you for eternity. Okay, but I mean, he did some wicked stuff. And this Jezebel was a big part of the wickedness. Matter of fact, you know, when you think about King Ahab that he picked this winter. You know, he picked this woman. Whatever it was about hers, he, he chose her. And she helped him to raise up, if you remember, a very common story about the, about the prophet Elijah when he, on, the, on Mount Carmel, and went against the 800 prophets, 850 prophets of Baal. And remember, God humiliated them and then destroyed them uh, through Elijah and his leadership. You know, it was also the same she was, she was a big part of that. She gathered them together. She took ownership of those. So that was kind of her thing when she found out that those prophets were killed. She wanted to kill Elijah. Uh, she had a vested interest in this. She was also the one that God had killed and had her thrown down and eaten by dogs for all of her gross wickedness. You know, she, she was a wicked, wicked woman. I mean, just think of that first beginning right there, just that statement. 
That then, as if following the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, were not enough, he married Jezebel. I mean, basically you're saying, you know, this guy led the entire nation of Israel into idolatry and all kinds of things, but to make it worse, he married Jezebel. You know, I mean, that is a bad woman. You don't want to bring that one home for dinner, I'll tell you that much. Okay, but I'm honestly kind of surprised that it's not a top 10 name in this generation. I really am, as I thought about it. You know, because being that so many have become anti-God and despisers of true history, those two things are being attacked. It's not like, you know, again, the, like they're not apathetic towards God. They're now against God in so many ways. You know, just, I, I don't believe in God. I wouldn't worship him anyways. You know, we're going to have a conversation when I get there. It's like, yeah, you will. It'll be a one-sided conversation, but there's going to be a conversation. Um, and I, I started to think about him like, you know, of all the things that Satan does, I'm just kind of surprised he hasn't influenced more people who have rejected the Lord to not name their daughters Jezebel, just to smite him, just to, just to irk him. You know what I mean? It's kind of surprising to me that that hasn't become a more common name, but it hasn't. You know, what was, uh, what was it that this woman was doing? Well, first of all, she called herself a prophetess. She called herself a prophetess when she clearly wasn't one. In reality, she was one of the false prophets that Jesus and the other apostles repeatedly warned the church about. Jesus told us after he left and all the apostles who followed said, there will be false prophets and false apostles that are coming. She was one of those. You know, and we need to be careful not to fall under the influence of anyone who makes themselves out to be a spiritual leader within Christianity but in reality is nothing more than wolves in sheep clothing. We have to be careful because I believe we are more susceptible to that um, than maybe previous generations. The reason for that is I have a friend who contacted me. It was a really great story. Um, he, was a, he was a tech for me that worked in Tucson. And uh, he was a Catholic, which most of, in the area that I came from, most of them were really, it was a cultural thing. Uh, pretty much everybody was Catholic in that area. Uh, but he was, you know, he came from kind of a rough area. And uh, I loved him. He was just really a good kid. And, uh, and there were some things that happened in business where I made some tough decisions, and, but it, it ended up being something good for his life uh, because, you know, just some things that he had gotten involved with. Um, out of the blue, a few weeks ago, I get an email. This has been 20 years. I mean, it's been a long time, you know. Uh, man, hard to believe. It has to be, you know, close to 20 years. And uh, in... He sends an email and, and he says, hey, this is, you know, Armando. And I don't know if you remember me. And, and he was just sharing in this email um, that he was super excited to see that I was still walking with the Lord and pastoring a little church. And um, he was now going to the very church that I used to serve in in Tucson, uh, where I was teaching men's Bible studies when he was working in my store. And uh, I'd have to leave and stuff. And and now he's in that and he's talking about how he just was so excited because he just loves the Lord and he's just so excited and learning so much. And, you know, just, and I just thought, man, isn't that cool, you know? Isn't that awesome that the Lord would save him? Because that was a vibrant church. That was such a great, that particular campus, there was Hispanics, there was blacks, there was whites. And you had a lot of people that came from really rough backgrounds. And I'll tell you what, man, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing to see them just worshiping the Lord. And there was such freedom that they had that you can tell they really appreciated because they had been brought up under a religious system. 
Uh, and when they just had the grace of God and the true forgiveness and the right relationship, and you had little you know, old ladies sitting next to bikers, sitting next to cholos, sitting next to gangsters, and they're all together and they're just worshiping together, man, it was beautiful. It was, it was in my mind, like the ideal church. You know? uh, it was just really awesome. And now to think of him worshiping with those people, man, it just it really blessed me. You know, but he sent me a, uh, a link because he was curious. He, you know, he's a new believer and he's trying to grow in discernment. And he sent me a link of a, of a pastor that he got listening to online. And he's like, you ever heard of this guy? And I'm, ah, I've heard of him before. And I went and checked out, you know, the page that he had on YouTube and stuff. And it sounded all right, you know. And then I started digging a little deeper into the church. And, you know, and this guy's a hardcore King James only guy, you know. And, and I've dealt with a few of those where... You know, they, they turn that into the main issue. You know, when they typically go that, that stream in, in their church, that becomes the issue. You know, if you're not using 1611 King James Version, you're not godly. You know, you're not, you're, you're infected. You're teaching wrong doctrine. And, and I told them, I said, you know, honestly, you probably want to keep on looking. You know, that, that's probably not where you want to land for getting all your teaching because you're going to find most of their teaching is going to be really dealing with that. It's, it's going to come into every message because that's their main thing that they're, that they're against and that just bleeds through everything they do. Um, but, you know, I, I think that in this generation, because we have such access to YouTube and podcasts and everything else, you've got to be really careful. You know, who is it that's influencing you? Who is it that you're listening to? What, how, are, how are they shaping the way that you look at the Lord? Um, some of it is very good. I'm grateful that we have those things, but we have to be discerning. You have to be discerning. Just because somebody puts up a post or puts up, you know, a church, or maybe they pastor a church that has, you know, thousands of people, it doesn't mean that, that it's right on. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just, it just means that you have, to, you have to really use some discernment. This woman got into this church and she set herself up as a prophetess. She said she was a prophetess, but she wasn't a prophetess at all. The Lord had never called her to it, but she established herself within that church as a prophetess. And that started affecting everyone else in the ministry. So you have to be very careful um, you know, what, what are you allowing into your life? Who is it that's influencing you? And what are their core beliefs? Are you really checking into it? Or did you just hear a message that, oh, that was awesome, man. This guy's right on or this girl's right on. Well, what's the rest of their beliefs? Because that's going to affect, it'll, it'll come through their messages in subtle ways. You have to figure that out. Just because someone says that they're a prophet, a pastor, or a leader within a church does not automatically make them one. It doesn't. Uh, just like I've talked to, re- you know, recently, just because somebody went to some seminary that's recognized and they've got a certificate on the wall and it says that they're a pastor, that doesn't necessarily mean anything to me either because you can go and get an education and get certified and still not be called. Um, you know, the Lord, the Lord's the one who has to call you that, you know, he has to be the one to give you the gifting and the heart and everything else. So, you know, it goes both ways. You know, God places people into positions, not people or a recognized system. It's God who raises people up to do these things, you know, but like I said, this woman had successfully infiltrated the church leadership and she had a profound negative effect on people. She had gotten in and she started spreading her poison. She started talking about things that she felt, this is how I think it should be done. 
I've shared, I think I shared just a little while ago, but I remember one guy in particular who came to our church, when, you know, in, in the earlier days, you know, when we were a much smaller ministry, I'm just joking. <laughs> earlier days, we had this guy come in and he, uh, and he walked in and, and man, I just knew it. I just knew we were in for something. And, uh, and, and at the end of the service, he started handing out hymn sheets to everyone. He goes, next week, we're going to do these songs. And I'm thinking who is this guy? And I grabbed him and I was like, you can take these back. You know, he's like, oh, you don't like hymns? It's not that I don't like hymns, but you don't dictate what we do here. This is who we are and this is what we're doing. You're welcome to join if you'd like, but you don't come in and just start changing things. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's just some people like that and usually not that obvious, but there's people who maybe come in in different ways and they might be, you know, having trying to settle, you know, having their own board meeting in the parking lot after church, you know? Hey, here's, you know, did you see what he said there? Did you see, oh, it'd be nice if we did this. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? And next thing you know, you got all this division kind of growing in the church, man. And it's typically tied to one person who has kind of put themselves in a position of, of power and authority that they don't possess. And uh, it can be a really dangerous thing. I, I really think that this Jezebel was one of the very first powerful influencers in society. She was very influential. She was what we would call an influencer this day and age. You know? So what is an influencer? Why do I think of it that way? Well, think of it as, you know, in our contemporary culture, I, I looked this up under, uh, I found it online, according to Influencer Marketing Hub. It said, influencers and social media are people who have built a reputation for their knowledge and expertise on a specific topic. They make regular posts about that topic on their preferred social media channels and generate large followings of enthusiastic and engaged people who pay close attention to their views. Brands love social media influencers because they can create trends and encourage encourage their followers to buy products that they promote. So this is a, a very powerful way of advertising nowadays because instead of spending millions of dollars you know, for people to run a 30-second ad on television that nobody's watching anyways, they now go right to the source. They use social media. These people already have millions of followers and all they have to do is get this person to say something good to promote their product and these people are already engaged with them and they want to be like them and they admire them and all that and it's powerful advertising. It, it's really potent. I had no idea how big it was till Luke started telling me some of the stuff that you know he listens to. I'm thinking, man, who are all these people on YouTube and stuff? You know, there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of influencers out there. Who are these people? So I did some more. I, I wanted to learn about this. I wanted to understand it. So there are mega influencers out there. A mega influencer is someone who has over a million followers. That's a mega influencer. Then there's macro influencers. Macro influencers have 40,000 to a million followers. Then you have micro influencers. Those are people that have anywhere from 1,000 to 40,000 followers. And then there's microscopic influencers. I made that up myself. In the words of KJ52, if you still got a MySpace account that only has three friends, Tom, your mom, and a dude named Ben, you're a microscopic influencer. I'm in that camp. So you're influencing three people. One guy, you don't even know how he got on that page. <laughs> but, you know, like I said, this has become big.
big business. Big business. You know, and some people are making ridiculous amounts of cash by doing these things. Okay? Um, I looked it up. Influencers. Some of the, and who knows? Again, this is one, I don't know if this is accurate, but I thought it was interesting. Okay? So I'm going to share my ignorance with all of you today. So the top paid influencers out there. Okay? Number one, Cristiano Ronaldo. Soccer player, right? Okay? I had no idea. I didn't think that he would be that. He makes $1.6 million per post. Per post. He, yeah, he has, he has 296 million followers. So when he posts something for a company, he gets $1.6 million for a post. Okay? Just think of that. That's right, on top of everything else for kicking a soccer ball around. I know, I know why you're playing soccer. Okay, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, okay? 1.5 million per post. 242 million followers. Ariana Grande, 1.5 million per post, 240 million followers. Kylie Jenner, Almost 1.5 million per post, 238 million followers. Selena Gomez, again, almost, it's like 1.468 per post, 233 million followers. So some company comes to you and says, hey, we want you to promote our product. And you do that and you affect 250 million people that see it that are following you and just hanging on your every word and want to be like you. Man, you think about the power of influence and how much money is to be made in that. Then there's all the nobodies who became somebodies through platforms like YouTube. I was like, I'm going to dig deeper into this. People that make millions of dollars each year by simply influencing other people. They usually do ridiculous things that go viral. That's how they gain their followers. YouTube's richest influencer of 2021, I don't know who this is, uh, but maybe you've heard of it, Mr. Beast. You guys heard of that before? Mr. Beast. I don't want you to look it up now, okay? But this guy, Mr. Beast, his claim to fame started in 2017 when he decided to record himself counting to 100,000. He just counted to 100,000. He says it took 44 hours for him to do it. That 20-something, early 20-something-year-old male made $54 million last year just by doing stuff like that on YouTube. Not to mention all the video gamers that are making tons of money having our kids watch them play video games they sit around playing video games and they get paid millions of dollars for playing video games and people watching them. Then you have your 10-year-old toy reviewers. I guess this kid for the last four years has been the richest YouTube star out there. What are you kids doing? <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> it's like millionaire, you know, for reviewing toys. Then you have all the wannabe pranksters who make millions of dollars each year just making goofy videos. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how much money these people are making. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy to me. But back to our study. Jezebel was an influencer. She was an influencer. She was a spiritual influencer. She was influencing people in the church to destroy them. That's what she was doing. You know, it's widely assumed that she influenced the people of the church that also belonged to those guilds. So she brought them into the church. She found ways. She, she created the nacho tactic. She found ways to bring people into the church that would be acceptable to them. So what she, what she did is, in order to make their sins seem better, she would say, it's okay. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. So what? You worship another god in the temple. You have to make a living. You got to pay the bills. So what? You're worshiping that false god. You're having sex with prostitutes in the temple. It's okay. Compromise. She mainstreamed it. She made it acceptable. And that started affecting people within the church, as we read in this letter. See, Jesus wasn't having any of that. Let's read what his admonition was about this. In verse 21, talking about her, he says, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction unless they repent of her works. Notice that. That wording is very important. Unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Flames of fire. Man, those flames are burning hot at that moment. He is incensed. He's angry. You know, the Bible tells us that God is long-suffering towards those who are caught up in sin. As a matter of fact, in 2 Peter, we've taught through this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, there's no doubt about it. God is long-suffering with us. If we're caught up in sin, he doesn't want to just destroy you and then cast your fate for eternity in hell because you wouldn't repent. That's not his MO. That's not what he's doing. He's long suffering for us, but don't confuse his long suffering as winking at your sin and saying it's okay. Just because the hammer hasn't dropped doesn't mean that it won't drop. There comes a time where the long suffering is done. There comes a time when he says your sin will be judged. And that's what Jesus is telling them. He says, you know, he will eventually judge all who refuse to repent. And he gave them the time to repent, but they didn't repent. That lady had made a, a living off of prostituting herself to hurt others. That same bed that she committed all that sin was going to be turned into her own sick bed. He was saying, hey, you're, you're committing all this sexual stuff and you're influencing all these people to do it. I'll turn that bed into a sick bed. In other words, you're going to die on that bed. 
Isn't that the way that sin works, though? That thing that you thought brought you so much satisfaction and joy, that sin, turns into a sickbed, doesn't it? It slowly kills you. Spiritually, you die. Physically, in some cases, it kills you. It could be drugs. It could be, you know, it could be alcohol. It could be all kinds of stuff. Sexual immorality. It could be any of those things. It started out as something that you thought was fun and great, and now it took over and it's killing you. He says, I'll turn your bed into a sick bed. Unless they repent of her works. In other words, she's influencing you. You're joining in in the sin that she's promoting, and you're doing it. And it's going to destroy you. He says, I will strike her children dead. I really believe what he's referring to at that is that she, the Lord was going to judge the disciples that she had spawned through her false teaching. All the people that had been like, yeah, it's okay, stop being so judgmental, preacher. It's okay to live. Look at the culture we live in now. You know, this is acceptable. There's nothing wrong with this. Everybody's doing it. That's her children. Those are her disciples. He says, they'll be judged just like her. Then he says this very frightening statement. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Jesus is the one who examines minds and hearts. He's saying this to the church. He's not speaking to non-believers. He's writing to a church. He says, I examine minds and hearts. What does that word examine mean? It was interesting in Greek. What it means is it's, it's, it's related to an animal that sniffs out things. Canine dogs. You ever seen a really good canine dog in action? I grew up near the border, so it was really normal. I mean, you would, you would drive up through these border patrol things, and they would just have canine dogs, and they would just be walking around, and they'd be smelling around, and they're smelling around the car, and they would find stuff. They would find stuff everywhere. Uh, things that the, the border patrol officer couldn't find, couldn't see, would have never smelt, would have never known. But that dog, they found it. I remember when COVID started, they had dogs that were trained to smell COVID. Uh, in the airports. I don't know if that was true or not, but I was thinking, well, I could believe it because I've seen dogs do some pretty incredible things with their sense of smell. Jesus says, I'll sniff out your sin. You're not going to hide it. You may hide it from everyone else. I know it's there. I'll find it. You're not going to hide this from me because I sniff out your sin. I, I sniff out what's in your head and what's in your heart. Wow. He knows the things that no one else knows is going on. You can hide all that from us. You can't hide it from him. He sniffs it out. You know, so how would you do in that kind of examination? Your inner thoughts, your motivations. Would you pass the test? Or would the Lord reveal things about you that he says, I'm giving you time to repent, but you won't. And eventually, the hammer's going to drop. Eventually, there's going to be some consequences. He reminds them that it is him who will give each one of them the reward for their works. And rewards can be good and rewards can be bad. The payment for your actions. When I think of a reward, I want something good for something I've done that was good. I don't want to be rewarded for what I did that was bad. I don't want to receive the payment for that. 
But fortunately, not everybody was sucked up in this, just like most churches. You got some that are sucked up in some bad things. You got some that are not. In verse 24, it says, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, that's important. I say to the rest of you. There's some that came under the influence of this false teacher. I say to the rest of you who not hold on to this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say. I am not putting any other burden on you. So in other words, they were, they were promoting this as this was, you know, this was a so-called secret. This is like kind of, you know, this is okay. This is okay. A lot of Christians don't know these things, but it's actually okay. Look, I can show it to you. These so-called secrets, you know, it's, it's, it's been mistaught all these years, but you're all right. You're okay. See, look, I can show you. He says, those of you who haven't been sucked up into that so-called secret club, you know, something that this current evangelist has figured out that nobody else has figured out over the years, but this guy figured it out. He knows it's good. He knows it's fine. So for those who didn't come under that teaching, I'm not putting any other burden on you. This type of deceit goes all the way back to the garden, the so-called secrets. Okay? When you think about it, how did the serpent come to the woman? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That tactic started all the way in the garden. There's some things God doesn't want you to know. It's not that it's bad. He just doesn't want you to engage in these kinds of things because most people can't handle it. But you can. It's okay to deal with spiritual things. Go ahead and mess around with that Ouija board. It's okay to mess around with these things. Go ahead and empty your mind and you know, do these practices that the other, you know, these other religions do because it's not that big of a deal. God just doesn't want you to tap into that spiritual realm. He's just, you know, he's trying to keep you safe, but it's there. These are the secrets. These are the things that they advertise. Hey, you know, a lot of the new age beliefs, right? Yeah, we've tapped into these things and God's really okay with it. Just, you can do these things and still be walking with the Lord. It's dangerous. That's how Satan packages all sin. That, that attack right there, that tactic is what he's done and what he still continues today. You know, it's okay for you to do this. Yeah, I know that you can read your Bible and it says that, but that's, you know, it's outdated. It's culturally not relevant anymore. God knows that this is different now. He packages it in such a way that makes you question if what God said years ago is still right for today. It's the way he attacks us. But to the ones who kept themselves from being, pup, being influenced by this influencer, Jesus says in verse 24, I'm not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on. Don't give in. Don't compromise. Hold on to the truth until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Notice, he says, I'm not going to put any other burden on you for those who are being faithful. For those who are resisting this temptation to give into a false teaching, I'm not going to place any other burden on you. I'm not going to say, well, you need to start doing this and you need to start doing that. He says, all I want you to do is this. You're in this circumstance where you've got this strong pull to try to get you to compromise. All I want you to do is hold on. 
Isn't it interesting that he didn't say, stand against it, fight it, change everybody, tell them. He, he didn't say that. He said, hold on. There are some instances in life that you find yourself in a situation that may be very unhealthy to you spiritually, but you cannot get out of it. It could be maybe a house that you were brought up in. It could be a job that you have to do to provide for your family and you're surrounded by people that are trying to tear you down all the time. And you may be like, man, I've tried to share with them and they're just, they're so against God and antagonistic towards this whole Christian thing and maybe I should leave. Maybe I should go. The answer is not always go. The answer is not always fight. Sometimes, stand. Just hold on. Just be faithful in the midst of it. Who's the one who decides that? The Lord. Is that the same thing for every circumstance? No, it's not. Sometimes it is go. Sometimes it is take a stand. Sometimes it is say something. Resist. Sometimes it is. But there's no blanket. There's, there's not a cookie cutter way to do this. In this instance, these people couldn't, they grew up in Thyatira. This is all they known. This is their family. This is their livelihood. This is everything, right? He doesn't say, flee to one of the other churches. He said, hold on to it. Hold on to truth until I come. Hold on. Sometimes the greatest testimony that you will ever share with somebody else is just your faithfulness in the midst of difficulties. Sometimes the greatest thing that you can do is just stand. Not give in to the pressure. Not give in to the peer pressure of everyone saying, well, come on, every, you, you do this job. Everyone else is doing it. Why don't you do it too? If you want to be part of us, come on. If you want to build relationships and camaraderie, these things, you need to do this too. Sometimes the best thing that you can do is just hold on to truth and refuse to bow down to them. Refuse to give in to what they're doing. That's what the Lord told him. He says, until I come back, just hold fast. Just hold on. Hold on to truth. And then he was going to be the one that would receive, that would dis, uh, dispense the reward. And the reward was going to be that they would receive authority over the nations and rulership over those who chose to compromise. I believe he's talking about some aspect of the millennial reign, okay, which we'll get into eventually, if we ever get out of chapter 2. <laughs> but... It's the same for us. You know, I don't think any of us are powerless that we have to stay in a bad church. We're, we're, in, a, we're in an area now where, you know, you can, like, again, Sandy, it was prophetic. She sent that thing. It's funny. But, you know, she could choose to stay in Nacho Church. It's cool if that's what you want to do. Okay. <laughs> That'd be terrible advertising. This is Nacho Church. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. But I, she's going to be mad at me for all this. Okay. But... Um, you have so many options now. You can go to how many different churches? Somebody was asking me just this week, how many churches in Whitburn? I'm like, I don't know. There's a bunch. You've never counted them? I almost felt like I was ungodly for not knowing the answer. I'm like, I don't know. I know there's one, mine. <laughs> and there's lots of other churches around me. Yeah, I, you know, I don't really pay attention to all that. Um, but... None of us are probably going to be in the same situation where you're powerless and you have to remain under the influence of a false teacher. 
I'm not saying that you stay in that place. If you're, if you're in a place where somebody is promoting false doctrine and they're trying to influence you in that, you're probably wise to leave that situation if they're not going to repent or correct themselves. But there are some people, like I said, that are not in those situations. It could be a prison that, they, you know, that they're surrounded by these things. It could be a home that they can't just leave. There are situations where you just can't get out of it. And that's where it takes discernment to try and figure out, what do you want me to do, Lord? I think, uh, I think the danger is very real in this generation because I think there are a lot, of, a lot of things being taught within churches that are not biblical. I'm not saying that we do everything right. And again, this is not the standard of perfection. Um, but there's a lot of things out there now that are just not biblical. Uh, or maybe even... Maybe it's more subtle. Maybe it's, it's switched from, you know, teaching the gospel and trying to reach the lost and trying to strengthen those who are saved to now it's become more of a social church. It's become something where it's a place where you either come to hang out and kind of be part of something or some sort of social thing, a social agenda. We're going to be the church that does this. You know, we're going to really focus on feeding the poor. And, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with those things. But when it becomes all about that and not about Jesus, things get messed up. You know, so I, I think that we just have to be aware that you have to really be discerning. Who is influencing you and what are they influencing you to do? What is it? You know, be a little bit more discerning in these things. But in the meantime, understand that God takes influencers very seriously, especially when it comes to spiritual influencers. You know, James chapter 3 my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. If you, become, if you end up in a position where you are influencing people spiritually, you need to take that seriously. Because if you are teaching them things that are not accurate, the Lord himself will bring you into judgment. You'll answer for those things. You're like, I don't ever want to lead a Bible study. No, just make sure you're sticking to the script. Scripture, okay, stick to that. You'll be okay. But if you're teaching people things that are wrong and ungodly, yeah, you're going to be called to account because you're influencing these people for eternity. That's, that's a big responsibility. Then I think about Mark chapter 942, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Jesus takes these things very, very, very seriously. If you create a stumbling block and, and lead somebody into sin that can destroy them, he takes it personally. Man, we don't, we don't want any part of that. So my challenge for today is this. Number one, who are you allowing to influence you? Who is influencing you? When somebody gets caught up in sin sometimes, maybe there's adultery that's been committed or something like that, you know, or maybe a teenager that all of a sudden is rebelling and stuff. My question is always first this, who? There's somebody involved. Who? Who is the person that's influencing them because they're changing their behavior? It's a person typically that does that. Somebody has their ear. Who is it? 
When it comes to spiritual influence and people are, are influencing you, are you sure that they're good for your spiritual health? There are great resources out there for you spiritually. I, this isn't a cult. I'm not saying only listen to what we're saying and don't listen to anyone else. I'm not saying that at all. There are some very good books you can read that will build you up spiritually. There are some great teachers out there. There's great podcasts. There are great churches you can go to. There's all kinds of good stuff that can build you up spiritually. But understand they are influencing you spiritually. So are they giving you good food? Are they influencing you the right way? That book that you're reading, does it really line up with scripture or is this just something this person is promoting? Because I'll tell you what, a lot of these people that are writing books in the Christian market are millionaires for writing these books. You hear about it and it's a lot of times, you know, they, they, they're like, oh, you know, I haven't taken a church salary for 10 years. Yeah, because you're making like millions of dollars off of your book. You're making tons of money off of this. And again, it's the Lord who judges the hearts. But I think that that might be something that'll be kind of a, a scary day. When he, dis, when he reveals what your motivation was for that book. Eesh. Because it's influenced how many millions of people. Make sure that whoever is influencing you spiritually, that they are influencing you towards Christ. And his standards and his word. Remember, as I said, I believe it was last week, you alone hold the responsibility of not being deceived. You alone hold that responsibility. That is not your pastor's responsibility. That is not anyone else's responsibility. That is your responsibility, just like it's my responsibility to make sure I'm not deceiving or been deceived. Okay? We are warned over and over and over in Scripture. Do not be deceived. It is our responsibility individually to make sure we do not fall prey to a deceiver. And the only way that we can do that is to take your word of God and compare it to that. That's what you got to That's the standard. Secondly, who are you influencing? See, because you're influencing people too. You're influencing your kids. You're influencing your co-workers. You're influencing your spouse. You're influencing maybe people around you. Who are you influencing? And are you a Jezebel? Is the way that you're living your life as a Christian affecting other people in a very negative way? Are the things that you're excusing based on your own convictions having a disastrous effect on other people? God takes Jezebels very seriously. Man, and I know, I know that there's Jezebels, not, not in this church per se, but I know there's Jezebels in churches. And they come in and they start pulling people away. They start getting them involved in stuff that it just blows my mind. God takes that very seriously. Don't be a Jezebel. Be careful of your own compromises that you might be trying to peddle to others in order to make you feel better about your own sin. And be careful that you're not being influenced by someone else who's trying to do the same to you. Don't let them use you like that. Don't let them grow their ministry by doing those things. Don't get involved with it. Don't allow it. This church just reminds us that we have to be careful 
Who is influencing us? Influence matters. And it also matters who you're influencing. Because Jesus was very clear. I will deal with Jezebel, but I will deal with those with her children as well. If you get caught up in that, you're going to face judgment as well. In whatever way that might be. In a generation that is wrapped up in influencers, we need to be much more discerning over who is influencing us in all aspects of our life, especially in the church. But guys, let's be honest. You're being influenced by all these different people that I just mentioned that are making millions of dollars off this stuff. Is it good or is it bad? How are they having an effect on you? We need to be very discerning in these things. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you gave us this example of Jezebel. And we do understand that, you know, man, people can influence us towards good things and people can influence us towards great harm. Uh, In this day and age where we do understand that people, you know, this is a big business thing. This is happening all around us now. This is the way advertising has been changed, Lord. They're going towards social media more than ever. And some of these people are really wrapped up in these people and, and what they're saying. Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes to it, help us to be more aware, help us to understand that it's a, it can be used for devastating means by the enemy in our lives. Help us not to get caught up in those things. And again, help us to have the wisdom to, to turn from those things if it is something, uh, Lord, that's, that's going to hurt us or hurt our families or anything else. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, you know, all those years ago, you knew this stuff would be going on today. And I just thank you that your word is timeless. And we just pray that you would be with us this week. Uh, bring this message to repent to repentance, maybe that too. Bring this to remembrance. If, uh, you know, if, if anything comes up where we need to be on guard, Lord, help us to remember these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to close out with a couple songs.